0: singing out praises to our God. Let's look to his word today in John chapter 17. John chapter 17. This entire chapter really captures for us the prayer of Jesus. He's praying here on the eve of his crucifixion after giving to his disciples much instruction from chapter 14, 15, and 16, and now we kind of get a chance to eavesdrop, if you will, into what Jesus prayed. Jesus prayed many prayers. The gospel writers write about that a lot, but this one is overheard, at least part of it. And that part is then put here in Holy Scriptures for us today to think and read about. This entire chapter deals with the prayer of Jesus. And as I mentioned (laughs) in the previous weeks, the first part of the prayer, verses um, 1 through 5, deal with uh, Jesus himself praying that his glory would be not only manifested, of course, but also returned, if you will. His external glory, ultimately, his glory was demonstrated in what he did and what he said. And then finally, in ascending to the Father, there's a certain aspect of his glory which now has, which was veiled, if you will, but now is seen clearly. That's the first part of his prayer. This second part, really, which I divide this up in three sections, this second part, and it's going to take us a few weeks to go through it, from verses 6 through 19, and I'll read that entire part. That's the second part. That part of that prayer then focuses on the disciples there in that room, immediately to them. It is applicable to all who would be disciples, who would believe and follow. Verse 20 and the the remainder of the chapter actually focuses primarily on those disciples that would believe, that would be you and me. But this section is first directed to these disciples, and then by way of application uh, applies to us today. He's writing here and calling John, as he records this, about uh, faith and faith to flourish among his people and particularly those disciples. In his prayer, Jesus is praying for that. The gospel is, is really emphasized here, initially in his first part of the prayer about his glory, it is that his glory would be manifested in the redemption of a people for his name, right? And then the second section here, where we're going to look at 6 through 19, really is kind of an expansion of that, and the focus is on those disciples, And the following third part essentially does the same. This prayer really has a lot to do with the salvation, Christ's work, his mission of his accomplishment of saving a people for his name. So let's carefully look then through the second section. And we'll probably today just focus on the first A couple of verses here, probably 6 through 8, but I at least wanted to read the second section in context. Beginning in verse 6 of chapter 17, Jesus prays, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you, for I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I'm praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I'm no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I'm coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, which you have given me, and that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I consecrate myself that they also might be sanctified in the truth. Let us pray. Oh, Father, I do pray that you bless the reading and hearing of your word. May it sink down into our ears and the souls. May it reach your people in the way they need to hear from Christ today. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. And the section that I'm going to deal with here... This morning, and I wrote it on the back of your worship folder really just two main categories in the first couple of parts of this prayer, of this section. And that is, first, Jesus emphasizes the revelation that he has given, this idea of manifesting God's name. This is the revelation of God that Jesus gave specifically to those disciples in that room. The second aspect we'll look at is then the reception of this truth that Christ reveals by his disciples. Now, both are absolutely critical, that there would be truth revealed and truth received. Both sides of that proverbial coin are important. The truth needs to be proclaimed, that is, it needs to be made known, but it also needs to be received to accomplish the intended goal. In the case of the disciples in media view here, that has been accomplished, as Jesus says, I have accomplished my work, my mission. So in one sense, this prayer affirms what has happened. But it's also a continuous application to them as that revelation is continuous in the sense that God is made known to them and they are continually believing or trusting or receiving him in that sense. They are continually manifested the glory of God in Christ Jesus through his word, and they are continually believing it. it. It isn't as if, okay, I got the information, I understand it, now let me move on to something else. It's there's a dynamic and living aspect in the revelation of God through Jesus Christ and the continued reception by those that are in Christ which we would call Christians. It is continually made known. Salvation, then, is a transformational experience in which the believer knows God through that revelation and continues to receive him as well. Let's look at this first part, the revelation given by Jesus Christ in his prayer. Verse 6. I have manifested your name. The word manifest here simply means to reveal, to show, or made known. And some of your translations may put it that way. That's the idea. I have made known your word. This is a substantial work of the Father that is accomplished specifically by Jesus Christ. Notice as we look from last week in verse 4, where Jesus says, I have accomplished the work. A significant part of his mission was to make God known, to reveal God, and he has accomplished that. It is, this is an essential part that Christ specifically would be the fulfillment of, of the revelation of God, if you will, it is through Jesus Christ that all the pieces of the puzzle are put together, complete, and made known. Turn to Romans chapter 1, and I'll show you that as Paul explains, <clears throat> but let me just give you the map for this first. God is, is known in a public sense, in the general created world in which we live. God is known. And people could look outside and recognize, even if they uh, don't immediately, but there is something unique. And the more they look at the created world, the more fascinating it becomes. Whether you are able to go down further on a microscopic level to the... the uh, and we, we're not to the end of it. Every time we think we found the smallest part and particle, there's something more beyond that. And even at these intricate levels, how complex some of these things are and put together on that level. The macro as well. We just don't have the tools to look far enough in outer space, if you will, to see things clearly. But as we continue to learn on both ends, we find out that there is, is something glorious and great in the creative world. In a practical sense, all of humanity understands that there is a God that, It is manifested in the idea of right and wrong. And even though we may come up with different rules about what right and wrong is, there is still a concept of right and wrong, right? We call this the conscience, the conscience of man that God has given them about the idea in a practical sense of things that are right or wrong. But There is another sense, and we're getting here with the revelation of Jesus Christ, specifically in a personal sense in which you can truly know God, and you only do so through the revelation, ultimately, of Jesus Christ. If you're in Romans 1, uh, Paul addresses this idea (coughs) a bit. In verse 19, notice here... In, act, in accusing those that may not even have the written word of Christ, what they can know about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them, verse 19, verse 20, for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the, the things that have been made. And by the way, the things that have been made is is a word in Greek from which we get the word poem, and that is if if you had a poem, it is a carefully constructed Um, dialogue, right, Uh, 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 a piece of literature that is carefully constructed. Well, this is how the world is, the creation is. Everything is carefully constructed. Things hold together in some form or fashion. We know through direct revelation of Jesus Christ, it is through the word of his power, but nevertheless, the world is put together and speak to the fact that there is God. So, Paul concludes here in verse 20, they are without excuse. There is no excuse. Verse 21, although they knew God, they didn't honor him as God or give thanks to him, but became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. This is what happens when you rebel against the light of God as demonstrated in the general revelation or in the very practical personal revelation of your own conscience, you will, uh, you're without excuse because you don't glorify God and that rebellion will further harden you, said here to be darkened, right? Foolish hearts darkened. Well, how is then this to be reversed. How will this be changed? Do do we just create dialogues and demonstrate proof of the creation? Or do we make great arguments about the internal witness of your own conscience concerning morality? I'll tell you how you change darkness to light, and that is to point to a person. And that is the capstone here, Jesus Christ the very light of the world. Turn over to the first chapter of John, and I'll walk you through it as John's gospel begins. Christ, remember, he says, I have manifested your name. Verse 6 and 17, where we're at. I'm I'm asking you to turn to John 1. I don't want to confuse you. And in verse 4 of chapter 17, he says, I've accomplished it. So what is he accomplished? And what is he manifesting here at the very beginning of the Gospel of John? If you remember, in the very beginning of it, verse 4, speaking of Jesus Christ, in him was life, and this life was, note this, the light of man. The light shines in darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And this, this is a great illustration. It perfectly demonstrates it. Darkness cannot overcome light. Go out on a dark night where the moon is obstructed by the clouds and no stars are out and pull out a flashlight and turn it on. It has no problem overcoming the darkness. Now here, metaphorically, Christ is tar- spoken of as life And then this life is illustrated as the light of men. It shines in the dark places and the darkness cannot overcome it. This is how you overcome the rebellion and the darkness in the hearts of people. It is through Jesus Christ. It is Jesus Christ who manifests, if you will, the name of God. It's the same idea being given here. Look down in verse 9 of the same chapter. Speaking of Christ, he is the true light, which gives light to everyone that is coming into the world. He goes on and say in John 1, verse 10, he was in the world, and the world was made through him, that is, Christ created the world, but the world didn't know him. The world in general doesn't know, him. they're in darkness. And he even comes, verse 11, to his own. His own people didn't receive him. In other words, he came to the Jewish nation and they rejected him, they crucified him. But all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. This is God's work. The word became flesh. He dwelled among us. And we have seen the glory, the glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is the testimony of John, who received verse 6 of chapter 17, that manifested word of Christ as Christ displays his glory. He says, we saw it. Not everyone saw it because they rebelled and rejected and their foolish hearts were hardened. But this grace came and was made manifest. Here in parentheses, it talks about John the Baptist. In verse 15, he witnesses of Christ. He tells of Christ. He says, this is the one who, I said, he comes after me, but he ranks before me because he was before me. He is the eternal God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He says, from his fullness, then, we all have received grace upon grace. What I'm suggesting here is that Christ is the manifestation of the revelation of God, and it is through him that you will receive grace upon grace. Oh, you must receive it, And we'll get to that in a minute. But for now, focus on the fact that it is Christ who reveals. It is the revelation of Jesus Christ that makes God known. Verse 18 No one has ever seen God. God, the only God who is at the Father's side, who would that be? Jesus. He has, note this, made him known. We get the word exegesis from this idea of made known. It's it's a technical term that just seems, it just means to explain. It's Jesus Christ who puts the answer to all of it, who explains it. This is the work of Christ that he... as an affirmation of his accomplishment in 17, verse 4, and he goes on to say that he makes God known, verse 6, as he manifests his name. What is God's name that Jesus manifests? It's all of who God is. It is his fullness, every aspect of who he is. Those things about God were known in a sense in general creation. They are known in the conscience of men. And there were words spoken by the prophets. But those words were not complete until the incarnation of Christ. They spoke of Christ. It was it, Moses spoke of Christ. But now Christ has come, and here is the fullness of the revelation of God in Jesus Christ. The prophets spoke about his loving kindness. We even read that in this uh, psalm today, didn't we? About God's loving kindness, which would be what? His faith, faithfulness, if you will, his love his mercy, his grace, all of that is what that word means. But it is seen and demonstrated most clearly in the incarnation of Christ. God, who humbles himself, takes on the form of a servant, suffers in great humility, and ultimately a sacrifice for sin. Paul would think on the Revelation of God in Christ Jesus. This way, I'll read it for you. Romans eleven thirty three. Oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom of the knowledge of God! How unsearchable are His judgments! How inscrutable His ways! For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been His counselor? Or who has given Him a gift that He might be repaid? For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be glory forever and ever. Amen. It is Jesus Christ that makes that known, completes this prophecy that was given, the Word of God in all of the Old Testament. It's as if there's a missing piece, and that missing piece is Jesus Christ. It is now complete. God spoke in various ways in different times, but now has spoken to us through his Son, Jesus Christ hear him, listen to him. You cannot know God apart, this is key, apart from Jesus Christ. Matthew would put it this way in his gospel in 1127. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, Jesus says, and no one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son and anyone whom the Son chooses to reveal. If you know the Father, if you know God, it is through the revelation of Jesus Christ, the Son, who chose to reveal him, Matthew eleven twenty seven. When they talk about knowing God in that sense, this is what is meant by salvation. Salvation is to truly know God, not about him, but to truly know him. In our chapter in 17, remember verse 3, this is eternal life, Jesus would pray, that they would know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you've said. They're inseparable in that sense, but to know God is indeed eternal life. This Knowledge of God doesn't come from looking it up on a computer. It comes up directly from Jesus Christ, a divine work of his grace in your heart in which the darkness is overcome by this light. The deadness is overcome by the life of Jesus Christ. And that's what he's praying. He says, I have done it. I have manifested your name. The witness to that are the disciples in that very room who are no longer in darkness but now in light. Chapter 17. Let's look at verse 6. To whom did Christ reveal? Well, he says, he specifies it here in verse 6. Not to everybody in general, but notice here, and I know this might be hard to, to grasp to some degree, but look at what the text actually says. I've manifested to the people, verse 6, whom you gave me out of the world. The revelation of the Father by the Son was given to a specific group. It is this group. This group is said to be taken out of the world, that is, out of the sea of humanity. World here in this sense is all people, right? But I've manifested your name to this people who you gave me. He reveals the Father to a specific group. Salvation, then, is not a... Plan of opportunity, if you will, it is actually the work of a of Jesus Christ, a certain person, Jesus Christ, to a specific people. And here it's specified as disciples. And I would suggest you, which we'll get to later at some point, this applies to all who would be a disciple, all who would be a Christian. They come to Christ because they were, note here, yours they were, in the following phrase, and you gave them to me. Yours they were, and you gave them to me. Here, in the very mind of God, from the very beginning, he already had in mind those people to to whom Christ would manifest the Father to that would come to him because they belong to God from the foundation of the world and they were given to Jesus Christ. The picture is this and scripture affirms this quite a bit. Talks about those that are in Christ they're described as a bride. This is for illustration purposes, right? Here the illustration is this. The father chooses, in that culture particularly, the father chooses a bride for his son. That's the imagery. You gave them to me. Yours they were. We sing a hymn that encapsulates this. The church's one foundation is Jesus Christ the Lord. She is his new creation by water and the word. From heaven he came and sought her to be his holy bride. With his own blood he bought her, and for her life he died. The incarnation is about Christ coming to manifest God to his bride to this specific people who God gave him out of the world. We, we've been through this and you can turn back there if you will. Keep your finger here. We've, we've said this a number of times and, and again, I'm not, my attempt is not to get on a hobby horse, if you will, about this particular topic. One of the benefits of going through the scripture verse by verse is simply that. whatever's here, this is what we're talking about. And I assure you, this is Jesus' prayer. It is consistent with what he has taught and said all to this point. One of the more notable passages, if you want to see it, and I'll just quote a couple verses from it, is chapter 6. Consistent here with uh, verse 6 of chapter uh, 17, where he says, You gave them to me, and yours they were, and you gave them to me. Here Christ says in chapter 6, teaching his disciples before this prayer, all, verse 37 of chapter 6, all that the Father gives me. You see how that parallels? They were yours and you gave them to me. Okay, that's his prayer. Here in his teaching in John six thirty-seven, all the Father gives to me, will come to me. Of course they will because they have been given by the Father. That's why they come. The only reason you repent and believe, which again, I'm going to get to hopefully, about the reception, you must repent. You must believe. You must receive. This is essentially important. But like we saw in the first chapter, you must do this, but you are born again by God's will, not by yours. Okay? It's by His blood, not yours. It's by his work, not yours. It's by his grace, not your doing. So this is consistent then. The Father gives those that come to Christ, those that receive him. And if you come to him, which you must and you will, he will never leave you, he'll never forsake you, he will, in this text says, I will never cast you out down to verse 65 of the same chapter, he again affirms, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted to him by the Father. I'm not suggesting this might be easy in your mind to understand, but this is what Scripture teaches. This is what Christ is praying. Those that the Father gives will come and no one can come unless it is the gift of the Father. What happens to those, Verse back to chapter 17 and verse 6? How will that group be identified, if you will? That specific people, verse 6... They have kept your word. They are obedient to the faith. They confess Jesus Christ as Lord. Now, notice it's verse 6. It says of chapter 17, They have kept your word. Now, we know how some of this unfolds. They don't keep the word perfectly, now do they? In fact, uh, if you read the Gospels, you'll find there's a lot of confusion going on. There's some pride going on. Jesus is washing their feet while they're talking about how great they are and who's going to get the best seat in heaven. I mean, it's really kind of funny in a way. And Jesus is there washing their feet. We know, and not to harp on him, but it's just so it's one that we know very well would be the Apostle Peter, who... Shortly after this, he's going to not keep his word because he's going to deny Christ, right? They weren't perfect in their actions, so Jesus describes them, though, as keeping the word. The idea is that that they had this disposition, this desire, this direction in the heart. And I'm not not minimizing disobedience. John will say in in his epistle... Confess your sin. He's faithful and just to forgive your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness, right? The believer has a disposition to continually confess sin, not conceal it. Oh, I'm not even saying doing that perfectly, but there is this direction in their life. It would be, use this analogy, if somebody is alive and you throw them out in the middle of the ocean, they're going to paddle as long as they can, as long as they're alive. When they're dead, they'll stop paddling. Okay? The point of that illustration is just to say those that are alive will struggle, and if you are alive in Christ, you will fight sin. You will struggle with it. You will only overcome it through the power of the Holy Spirit, of course putting to death the deeds of the flesh, but that's a different disposition from those that are hardening their hearts against God. This is a desire and a direction in their heart to want to be in conformity to God's word. When we teach God's word, you're not looking for, well, what's a loophole so I can do what I really want to do over here? No, it's, okay, this looks like God wants me to do this and not do that. Oh, Lord, help me to do your will and to not disobey your will. Protect me from the evil one. That's the disposition of somebody who is a believer who has the light of Christ, the life of Christ, revealed in their heart, who truly know God, who have eternal life. They have a different disposition of heart. They love Christ. They keep Christ's commandments because they love Christ. There is a love of Christ in their heart. Now with the time remains, I want to look at the second half in our text. First, this is the revelation of Jesus Christ. It is Christ who reveals to those who God has given. They demonstrate that in their obedience. Salvation then is a supernatural event. It's experienced in real time by you and me and expressed in our belief. It is difficult, and we're really not responsible to go out and try to figure out, and a lot of people try to do that, okay, well, who has been given by God to to Christ? Scripture never commands us or tells us to do that. You know what it tells us to do? Preach Christ, okay? Spurgeon often said that when they asked him about these these matters of divine election, what do you do? Well, I can't lift their shirt to see if there's some sort of mark. I think he called it a yellow stripe. You might even think of some sort of tattoo. That's not the case. We just simply preach Christ and call all men to believe. If you reject this message, though, I want to greatly warn you, the more you hear it and the more you reject, the more hard your heart will be and the greater your judgment. It is a great mercy to hear the words of Christ. It is a great warning to, to reject him. James Boyce in his sermon on this section here asked a good question, I thought, was though, how does somebody know that they are gods, given to Christ, revealed this great truth? In other words, how would they know that they are that one, one of the elect? And as I thought about it too, how would the church know? This is a decision that we have to make, whether we take someone in or send them away, right? John says in his epistle, they went out from us because they weren't of us. Well, the church has a responsibility to do as well, to receive and send away those that are not in conformity of Christ. So how can you know? I think um, really in the, the remainder of this we'll go 8 through 9 I think um, I see at least four keys here because this is good for you to examine your own heart and to know to help others as well. Jesus would say in verse 7, note this, these disciples that received his word, he says, now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. That, that is a general statement about him. He's talking about in specifically these disciples, but it does apply to the state of all true believers, everyone who is truly regenerate. Their mind is different. They have a different disposition. Notice that they, they, they know the Father, not just in a factual way, but they know him in a personal way. Four keys, and I'll close with this. First is the revelation of Jesus Christ, the revealed word. Notice verse 8. I have given them the words that you gave me. He's talking about this group, that have received his word. I have given them the words that you gave me. This is speaking of the revelation of the word of God. This is the content of the faith, the content by which you can find right now in the pages of Holy Scripture. The word of God is the word of Christ. It's, it's not a coincidence that John begins this gospel that way. In the beginning was the what? The Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. In the Great Commission as we go about to preach Christ, as he charged his disciples, this great commissioning, it was to make followers and disciples that would be learners of Jesus Christ, learners of his word. And then we are to demonstrate that they indeed have received his word and believe him and baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And beyond that, which is a symbol of truly what has happened in their heart, baptizing just means to be immersed or united with. That is, in that sense, united with Christ, teaching them to observe all things that Christ has commanded you. And Christ is with you to the end of the age. You teach all that Christ has commanded. In this great commission, when we baptize, we baptize what? In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. In that aspect, that is revelation of the Word of God about the triune God, which really wasn't fully known until what? The incarnation of Jesus Christ. It always existed, but now it is clearly seen in the incarnation of Christ. Who comes? And by the way, this is how we demonstrate what we call the Trinity. It is through Jesus Christ that we are able then to demonstrate this biblical teaching. In addition to that, this revelation is the content of, this, of the faith is the very commands of Christ. What are the commands of Christ? All of it. All of this word that you have before you. This knowledge of God comes through Jesus Christ and through his revelation. Faith, belief, trust, reception comes by hearing the word and the word about whom? Jesus Christ, Romans ten seventeen. So that's the first key, if you will, for those who would um, receive the, the very word, of Christ that they would have his revelation his word there the, the second there would be a reception of that notice verse 8 he gave them the word and verse 8 they received him the receiving here of the word is in the context of Christ's words this is more than just knowing about various facts that Christ teaches here, but this receiving has the idea of receiving by believing and accepting all that that is said there to be true. I mentioned earlier, we read chapter 1 and verse 12. Those who received him, it says, one twelve who believed in his name, that's another way of saying the same thing, he then gives the right to become children of God. This receiving, and you must hear his word, first of all, the revelation. Second, you must receive it. But the receiving of his word is not ultimate, it is penultimate. That is, it is a response to seeing the glory of Christ in his word. How would you see the glory of Christ in his word? He has made it known. It is a supernatural work of Jesus Christ. But you know what your response is. When you see it, you fall down like a dead man and say, Woe is me. And he touches your lips and purifies you. The receiving, then, is necessary. It is a response to seeing that which is genuine. It would be as if I wanted to pay you for an item that you had or for a work that you did, and you receive it because you see that funds as something that is genuine. Those who are given to Christ by the Father will respond in the reception of Jesus Christ as someone who is absolutely true. And I'll just pause here one second to say here, liberals who deny the veracity of Jesus Christ are very thin ice at this point. Some may actually be deceived about him and his true nature, And be misguided, but but questioning the veracity and the truth of Christ's word and what he says is, is really a word from the devil. You're more likely to be a false prophet or a heretic if you reject Jesus Christ, and that includes the very nature of God, as we would baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, co-equal, three persons, one God, and all that Christ has taught, which is Genesis to Revelation, all of it is the words of Christ. The third thing, not only do you hear the revelation of God, then you see it to be true, that is, you receive it, but notice verse 8, it speaks about a reality. He says, and then we have come to know, that is a change of mind and disposition, to come to know in truth that I came from you. This is the reality of the word of God. This response goes way beyond the acceptance of the truth that you you got, the truth that you received, but in, in reality, you have then a personal relationship with God that changes everything the way that you see the truth. In the couple of previous chapters in the same context of time, Jesus tells these very disciples in chapter 15 and verse 15, he says, "'No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave doesn't know what his master is doing. I've called you friends.'" For all that I have heard from the Father, I have made known to you. This piggybacks on this idea of verse 6 where it says, I manifested your name. Here's what it is. Those disciples, and I'd argue any disciples that would follow, you and me, there is a personal relationship with God. That now this has been made known. And in that sense, you're a friend of God. You love Christ. You love someone you, you haven't seen. You give your life for someone that, that you, you wouldn't be able to pick out in a lineup. What, what causes that type of affection? What changes the attitude in the heart? What, what in the mind, should I say, what changes the actions in, in your behavior to want to That's Christ is Lord, to want to submit to his uh, leadership, if you will, to obey his word, to truly love him. This is the reality of Christ's work. They have come to know that. The fourth key is found in verse 8 again. He says, and, and they believed that you sent me. The, the, the word belief is a response to the very word it is speaking about their action. This isn't just belief in the sense that um, yeah, I agree with this information, but it it is true belief that responds in action if you If you really believe that we were going to have some sort of um, tornado hit this afternoon, I, I suppose you might take certain actions in your life. That's the idea. If you really believe in Christ, you will take action in your life. That's what is demonstrated in belief. Simon Peter responded to Christ in chapter six, where everybody wanted to go and leave. And his, Jesus said, "Where well, you want to go too? And that's a good question to ask yourself if you want to know if you're truly in Christ. Do you want to go? Leave. Think about it. Could you? Could you leave Christ? Maybe for a minute. Maybe for an hour. Maybe for a day. But could you really leave him? It's a good question to ask. And Jesus asked that of Simon Peter and his response in John chapter 6 is, whom should we go? You have the words of eternal life. He recognizes it is the revelation of Jesus Christ and we have believed and come to know that you are the Holy One of God. They will Fail and fall, but it will not be fatal. It will not be final. I'll conclude with that today and just ask you to think on these various things. Examine yourself to see if indeed you're in the faith. Do you have the revelation of Jesus Christ that has been given? Have you indeed received it? Do you know the reality of it and Christ in a personal way and does it change the very attitudes, affections, and actions of your own life? Jesus has come to provide the clear revelation of God and grant it and demonstrate it, manifest it to those who God has chosen and they indeed will receive his revelation, and that is how it is displayed. Not in a static way, but in a continual way. Let us pray.